right, welcome, 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 everyone. I am Clayton Lewis Ferrara, the CEO of Ideas for Us, and I am very excited for our podcast today, the official Ideas for Us podcast, coming to you in August of 2022. It's actually August 12th today, and uh, it is amazing how this year is flying by, getting ready to launch into UN Climate Week in September, and also a whole host of other fun things to close out the year and keep the action going. So I am joined here today for a very special podcast with Mr. Joaquin Chila, and he is our new IREX Fellow for Ideas for Us in 2022. Also Katie DeBerry, of course, uh, Ideas for Us team member. And uh, if those of you who have uh, followed Ideas for Us for a number of years, especially the last nine years, you may know that we've been part of a wonderful program called IREX, the International Research Exchange. And IREX is based out of Washington, DC, originally started as a US-Soviet friendship organization and later evolved as a State Department-backed program and nonprofit that is helping to bring young leaders from around the world, matching them with American nonprofits and helping them to expand their viewpoints their skill sets, and their ability to serve their countries when they return home. So Joaquin, welcome. It has been wonderful to have you. Today actually marks one week since you arrived. We, you are still alive. We, we are very happy about that. Out of the hospital, out of the jails, and we intend to keep it that way. So welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Well, it's such an honor, an honor for me to be here and learning so much about American culture and also about the work that Ideas for Us is doing. And of course, nothing could be possible uh, if IREX uh, didn't launch this uh, amazing community solutions program. So I, I have to, I am very grateful for this and thank you so much, Alex. Of course. And, um, you know, we, we are really excited and, um, you know, you're part of a great, uh, you know, kind of history of our relationship with IREX. Uh, next year will be 2023, and we'll be celebrating our 10th year since we first partnered with IREX to start bringing uh, international fellows from around the world and bringing them to the United States and, and partnering them with ideas for us. You know, we we learned about this program uh, and and originally in 2012, we had already become part of the UN, right? And uh, uh, Ideas for Us as co-founder, uh, Chris Castro and I uh, traveled to Rio de Janeiro, Brazil in 2012 to take part in the Rio Plus 20 Earth Summit. This was 20 years after the Earth Summit in 1992. And, um, you know, this was a, a real famous uh, conference and what was supposed to be a celebration of 20 years of action was a big rallying cry that we better get our, our stuff together. Otherwise, we're going to really hit a wall as a civilization if we are, and as a society, uh, you know, global society especially, if we do not develop and care for the planet in a more responsible way. And even though great things have happened in those 20 years, millions of people being lifted out of extreme poverty, right? And there's nothing more environmentally destructive than people who have no choice but to destroy the environment. Uh, but there is still a tremendous amount of work to be done. And we started to become an increasingly international organization, speaking at different events with young people. And um, IREX was the perfect fit for us to partner with 
because it gave us a chance to show so many different things to one of these fellows. So as I'm sure you've seen over the last week, there's a lot of variance in stuff that we're going to be, um, you know, exposing you to. I'm so curious, what did you think your experience was going to be like before you came here? Uh, you know, what were some of your ideas about the USA and, uh, and what you were going to experience, let alone in Florida? Because I'm sure that after some internet searches, uh, we come to <laughs> oh, a pretty yeah. wild place. And I'll tell you, it's all true. Uh, so... <laughs> Well, you know, as I have, as I have already told you, uh, it's the first time out of my country and the first time, of course, in the United States. So I was expecting pretty much that this will be very different uh, from my country, that I will have to face uh, a lot of challenges and I, I will have to uh, learn and a lot and have an open mind because maybe your culture is very different from, from the one I have back home. And uh, well, since I, I didn't get out of my country, I, I only know, well, I only knew about the United States from what I see in the internet and on Facebook and the social media and in the movies pretty much, you know, about Hollywood. But now I've been here like, one week in Florida and what, two, another week in Washington, D.C. And uh, now I can tell that there are a lot of things that you cannot see on the movies or on social media and, that, and where you can learn a lot from those experiences and those historical places. And well, that's pretty much what um, I was expecting to, uh, to, to get to know how American people truly are, you know, and uh, that's my one of my goals here. Yeah, how wonderful, you know, and I'm so excited, you know, you've gotten a little bit of a, of a view, of course, of, of myself and, and how I work and, and those kinds of things. I'm so excited for you to meet the rest of our team in person, right? So, you know, Ideas for Us has such a diversity of just wonderful people. And, um, you know, I think that there's so much that uh, everybody brings to the table in this organization in their perspectives, right? Real human diversity exists in the perspectives and personalities that people have, right? So a good team, you know, brings people together that have that kind of variance, right? So that you, you're able to make as wise of and informed of a decision as possible, right? About doing anything. Um, you know, one of the things you've mentioned to me is that not only is this your first time in the United States, but this is also your first time out of Bolivia. Uh, you know, so that's pretty uh, amazing and got to be a culture shock. What did you think of Washington, D.C.? Uh, because that was the first place that you arrived. Uh, maybe you can share a little bit about what your time was like there uh, before you then flew to Orlando to our headquarters here. Whoa. When I arrived there, well, of course, I was nervous. I was uh, like scary. But uh, when I was at, at the Grand Hyatt Hotel, um, I was looking at the streets and, and the buildings. And, you know, the first impression I had was that everything seems so perfect. The, the roads are, are perfect, well maintained. The trees also, the building seems like they were built yesterday. So I, I, I was questioning myself, questioning myself, how is this possible? You know, because in my country, it is very different. And um, I was 
also suspicious. Maybe there, there's something hiding in here, you know? <laughs> I cannot believe that this this is this is this could be done, you know, that a society could can um, build this kind of infrastructure, road, roadways, and, and so on. Um, and how people res was respecting the the road signals uh, was very open-minded. You know, when I arrived uh, at the, I think it was at the Dallas airport, at Washington DC, I was with an Algerian fellow. I, I met him right, right on the airport and we both went out of the airport and we saw an, uh, an American um, woman and uh, she just talked to us, you know, and we were talking with her. She was very open-minded. We talked about everything, religious, political issues, American culture. And it was fascinating. For me, it was a fascinating experience because uh, I could talk with a real American people, you know, and uh, I get to know a lot from her. And she didn't get upset at all when talking about political issues or anything, you know, in my country, it's like uh, people can get mad if you talk about those sensitive issues, but here not, you know, and uh, well, I don't know. I, I was shocked by that the first day, of course, but now I am getting used to this. Well, you, you'll, you'll, you'd be surprised, but we'll certainly get you around a lot of diverse political people <laughs> while you're here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, that's so interesting to, to kind of experience that through your eyes. Washington DC is a really amazing place, right? It's full of history. It's our nation's capital here. Uh, you know, they've got quite the landscaping budget. Uh, you know, they, they've got all the money up there in Washington DC, so they keep things looking really nice. Um, but it is kind of a city within a city in the fact that there's just a lot of, um, you know, decisions being made there and, um, you know, it's it, it's it's definitely a, a place that I'm excited to get to travel with you to again. Right? We have a, a trip planned to Washington D.C. in uh, October, and uh, you know we'll be traveling there. And um, you know I'm very excited for that. We're going to be interfacing with IREX and the cohort from 2021 that they're welcoming to the United States. Of course, 2021. Uh, August, uh, the United States was dealing with the COVID Delta surge, uh, you know, and because of that, we uh, were not able to welcome an IREX fellow, so we worked with one digitally, uh, Sariti Tilhan, and uh, what was so cool about this now is that she'll be traveling to Washington, D.C., we'll be meeting her there, and then we'll be traveling to Orlando, where she'll be shadowing us for two weeks and uh, and learning about all of the different things that Ideas for Us does here, so That'll give us a, another chance, and I'm excited to take you to some museums in Washington, D.C., and uh, show you the Smithsonian, and uh, of course, our uh, Ideas for Us co-founder, and I guess President Emeritus now, uh, uh, Chris Castro, is um, the uh, uh, chief of staff of a new wing of the Department of Energy, uh, and really advancing sustainability for American cities. Uh, so we'll be able to, you know, really kind of uh, wrap our brains around some of the work that he's doing, which will be very exciting. And we're tremendously, tremendously proud of Chris. You know, his work here in Orlando was game changing uh, to have his uh, vision and things uh, in, in Orlando behind the city and 
for ordinance and for mandates and for policies and all of those things. It's wonderful that the president's office recognized him and kind of put him up there where he could do uh, even more good for people. So really exciting there. Um, so now that you're here in the United States, you know, what are you hoping to achieve while you're here? What would make you feel as though you've succeeded uh, by the time you return in November uh, back to Bolivia? Well, um, to answer that, I think I have to talk about uh, the issues I have in my country doing the, the work I do. And uh, well, as an environmental engineer, I was pretty much working with uh, environmental action with communities. And, and I was also doing a lot of volunteer, volunteering work um, with young, uh, doing a lot of, a lot of activities, like cleanups, uh, composting, uh, encouraging composting at schools, at households, also uh, doing bird watching, and you know, any kind of activity that can be used uh, to link the na nature with people. And uh, the main struggle that I have and, and my team had and are still having there is um, how to encourage people to do these activities. How do we engage the community to follow us, to follow our example? Uh, it, it might sound very pretty easy to separate or segregate our waste, for example, at homes, but uh, many people don't want to do that. And how are we going to encourage them? You know, we can give them information, we can show them how to do that, but at the end of the day, we are not going to force them to do that. And um, that's pretty much what I want to learn here. You know, the strategies, uh, projects, activities, uh, any kind of material or, or ideas that I can carry back home so we can achieve that great that big objective that we have and uh, as far as i know ideas for us is already doing that with um human agriculture or landscape or free farming activities you, you do um people here in florida again as far as i know are already helping with these activities and are engaged as a community to because if, if in my country if we don't work as a community then projects fall down and that's uh, one example of uh, the Watuya work I was doing there. I was in charge of uh, encourage 100 families to do composting at home and um, I, I could only reach 40 people, 40 families to do that, you know. Uh, we give them the material, we, we gave them uh, compost beans, and uh, we taught them how to do that, but I also assembled a volunteer team of, of young people to visit each one of the households to encourage them to do that. Um, uh, but after all, so many actions, at the end of the day, we couldn't reach 40 people, which was pretty much a good indicator for a pilot project. But, you know, I want to reach 100 of, out of 100. And that's what I want to learn here. I think yes. uh, part. Of, I think part of 
our success or at least our reach with ideas for us and then our urban agriculture program fleet farming is using a lot of social media um, and I work in media and marketing and we're doing that you know increasingly as we grow uh, we're employing those strategies a lot more um, so I'm curious what does like the use of social media look like within your community in Bolivia and what does the social media landscape look like where you come from um, because it can definitely be a tool to reach a lot of people and to educate a lot of people and encourage them to do things like compost yeah uh well it, it, it depends because young people use uh when, when i say young people i mean until 20, 23 years old maybe they use a lot of uh, instagram TikTok mainly and snapchat and so on and after the 23 years old they use more facebook a little of instagram and linkedin and but from 35 years old um, people don't use too much social media only facebook and uh, many families uh, don't even use those because i was working for example with communities in the they were not rural areas, but they seem like rural areas. And um, they didn't have the chance to pay for internet. You know, internet in my country is a big thing. It's not like here that you can pay $50 a month and you have unlimited data. And there now you can, you have to pay like each day or the prices are higher if you want to have unlimited data. And um, communities couldn't afford that. so. That's why they don't use too much social media, even if they are young ones. Um, so we we pretty much do a lot of polls, videos on Facebook and, and so on, webinars. But uh, how can we reach the people that are not using or are not able to use internet? You know, so that's why uh, we, as I as I told you, we gather a group of volunteers so they can visit each home, each one of the households to talk about composting or talk about or, or environmental activities. And that's pretty much how that works. We also do TV. People in my country watch uh, national TV a lot. And well, not a lot, maybe 30% of, of all the people are still watching that. So we create YouTube videos that can be reproduced also there on TV. Um, and those are the strategies we are carrying out. Yeah, I mean, you know, you got to meet people where they're at, right? That's that's I think one of the big keys of of local organizing, right? Then if you can start to think of the people that you empower, those 40 people, which by the way, congratulations on that. You didn't hit your goal of 100 that you had, but that's fantastic that you were still able to reach 40 people, right? Don't view it as a as a total failure, right? <laughs> and and after all, the difference between 40 people and 100 people is only a number goal, right? You still created an impact for those 40 people, right? So it was successful there. It's not like all or nothing, right? It's not like nobody gets a compost bin if you don't hit 100, right? So, you know, there's still been a, a positive impact there and, and definitely keep that in mind. But imagine if you trained each of those 40 people to reach out to three other families that they know right, then you would have expanded to 160 just off of those 40 that you got, right? So 
there's this concept of thinking about how to train the trainer and empower someone to be a um, kind of uh, spreader of this information beyond just you, right? These are, these are definitely strategies that we put in place for how we're able to, um, you know, cover so much ground or have such a reach with, you know, arguably so or comparatively so little resources, right? So you definitely want to think in that way. I love the idea of how you got a, a volunteer team together to go greet people where they are, right, and communicate with them that way. That's so important. You know, you, sometimes it just takes that kind of old-fashioned touch, and sometimes there's no shortcut to building this change in communities other than just building relationships with community members, right? That's why as an organization, for us, whenever we go into another country, right, we would never hire one of our staff to fly to another country to stay there and long term and do all of this work whenever that's for people in that community to do right? we want to empower those citizens there to do it so when you go and hire your your team think about how you can go into these other communities and and try to find a way to even hire someone there Right. And then when you have someone in, especially in a remote area, they're working, they serve as that kind of point person in a community. And they can have much closer of a communication and touch because, well, they're from that community. Right. When we travel internationally, and I'm planning a, a trip here to Liberia this coming uh, week, really, day after three days from now, you know, I'm going there with two things in mind. First thing I'm going to do is really listen to everything that is going on there and that our, our, our partners on the ground are telling us and sharing with us. And then the second thing that I'm doing is I'm asking really good questions, right? And that's where like most of my concern is, is am I going to be able to ask enough of the right questions to where I can help them figure out what to do? And then the rest of the time is us raising funding and empowering them as the team on the ground there to go do all of this great work that they're wanting to do, right? It's not, and certainly I'll be there taking part in action projects and in uh, being in their community and getting hands-on and, and, and all of these kinds of things and endorsing our team and work that they're doing, uh, you know, to further uh, just create excitement and the fact of other organizations wanting to get involved with our ideas for Liberia and ideas for Guinea uh, group as well. But uh, think about some of those strategies. I think that they can really, really help. So I'd love for you to share more about the work that you were doing before IREX and before this journey. Um, you know, you're, you, you certainly have a, a curiosity in many things. Um, so we'd love to just learn a little bit more about you and, 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 uh, and, and who you were before you came here. Okay, sure. Well, you know, uh, I, I was doing a lot of volunteer work since I was 15 years old. Uh, I was, for example, a forest firefighter uh, at a young age for two years um, uh, in Cochabamba city, which is a city that had a lot of fires. I was also helping um, street dogs in my country because that's a huge thing there also as a volunteer and afterwards i was working with uh, well 
doing volunteer with the municipality, doing uh, uh, reforestation activities and so on. Uh, after I graduated from university, my goal was to learn from different job experiences. So that's why I, I was working first with the biggest hydrocarbon company in the country uh, in, in environmental management. Uh, afterwards, I worked with a private company doing reverse osmosis water treatment plants uh, for hospitals, more of a chemical engineer work than an environmental engineer. Uh, then I could work in the Andean highlands helping local farmers to produce their own organic uh, fertilizer or pesticides, which was an amazing experience. And uh, finally, uh, well, before reaching Awatuya, I was also teaching kids uh, about environmental education a little and also about uh, math, chemistry, and science, uh, which was really amazing experience. And then I, I, I reached Awatuya Foundation, which was I think the best work experience I have had until now uh, in my country, because there I could finally do environmental action, which I think I uh, I like the most. You know, I feel fulfilled whenever I can talk to people, whether they are kids, young, uh, college students, or just community members and tell them about environmental issues that they are facing and how can they face those uh, tell them how uh, how can we change our habits to be more environmentally friendly and also probably earn money doing environmental activities which is one thing I, I also want to learn here you know how how can we do this all these environmental activities in communities but also earn money from that you know social entrepreneurship which uh, many people in my country are eager to learn uh, for example, when I was uh, in a Watuya Foundation, I was in charge of the composting uh, activities in households and afterwards at schools too. But um, when I was talking with teachers or kids, they they always asked me the question of how, what are we going to do with this compost? Why don't we raise uh, some vegetables with this at school, in the school or at households? And I was telling him, uh, I was thinking, yes, we should do that. You know, we don't have the money to do that right now, but I think we, of course, have to do that because then people can sell the vegetables and earn money from that, or schools can do that, and then use that money to I don't know, buy books, buy computers, I don't know, or, or whatever. So that's um, that's one thing I want to learn here too, answering the previous question too. And uh, well, uh, pretty much that's the work I do uh, a paid job, but all, I also I am also a volunteer until now. I am working with this platform of young people, which is called the Bolivian Platform Against Climate Change. And I've been there like two, two years now. And we are a bunch of young people that want to do a lot of things for our country. Right now, we are uh, developing this local conference of youth, which is a young goal, uh, official activity from the United Nations. And our main goal right now in, in the following months is to create or build a national declaration of youth people 
uh, about climate change. So we can deliver that declaration to our government so they can hear the young voices of our people to address climate change. So uh, I guess I, I was involved in a lot of environmental activities and issues all this time, all my life. And uh, I am kind of looking my, my path. So I guess I am pretty much closer than I was when I was 15 years old now. And of course, uh, learning about ideas for us and the work that they are doing is also carrying me more to, to this path that I want to reach. Wow. Uh, I mean, that's fantastic. That's a lot of stuff. I've got to touch back on the volunteer or or, or hired forest firefighter. Uh, please tell us more about that. That's awesome. Well, uh, you know, I was a very curious person since I was very young. My mother was always telling me that. <laughs> and uh, well, I saw these, these fires that were occurring a lot in, in the city I was living in. Um, I was walking one day and I, and I saw this place, which was a fire station, and I asked them, what are they doing? What do they do? They told me that they are a volunteer group that do this kind of stuff, the force fight uh, activities. And I asked them, I want to join, you know, I am 15 years old. I know that I, I am not able to join, officially join you, but I want to help anyways, you know? And um, they told me, yeah, you're young, you need to be 17 years old, but we are currently lacking people. So come in, you you are officially, uh, you will be officially joining us. So, and then I said, yes, of course. And that's, I think that's what's the, 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 the initial work. I, I, yeah, it was like an open mind uh, for me. Uh, and um, I learned a lot from there. You know, I was twice or three times a week uh, I had to go outside in the night at 10 p.m., maybe at 9 p.m., and I was called to do the volunteer work. And uh, we had to go to the mountains, uh, walk a lot. And walk, we were walking like one, two, or three hours until we reached the fire. Then we had to put the fire off, and uh, then we, we had to clean down. So it was like... Uh, six hours, seven hours of work each day. And, but it was pretty amazing. Then I realized that there are a lot of people, not only young people, but a lot of people very diverse in that city and in the world that are willing to help the environment and also help the society, you know? And um, we were very few compared to the city population. And then I asked, I was, I started asking myself, why are we so few people? You know, there are so many people out there and why only five or 10 of us are here in, in the mountains doing this, this crazy work. So I think that was uh, the time that I started asking those questions. And I am now 15 years later, I am uh, starting to uh, answer myself. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely something that we, we really ponder about as well, because there's so many people who want to do something and want to get involved. They want to see things improve in their community, especially around the environment, especially around the economy, especially around social issues. And um, they struggle with knowing what to do. 
I think it's wonderful that you took that incentive. You know, I grew up volunteering places too. And, you know, I, I, I was below the age that people allowed you to volunteer and talk them into it as well, you know, so that changed my life. And, um, you know, we want to encourage and, and make sure that people have, uh, you know, the, the incentive to do that and that they take that step. And, you know, it can be scary, especially for a 15 year old, you know, to try to do something like that, uh, you know, and um, so that's really fantastic. I, I also want to mention that, you know, we had a bit of a conversation about how there's not a whole lot of street dogs in the United States, you know, and that uh, certain cities, you'll see them, uh, Detroit uh, has street dogs for sure. Uh, I've seen street dogs in certain places in LA, um, but it's very uncommon, you know, um, people do uh, a good job of rescuing stray dogs, right, and trying to rehome them. Fortunately, not all of them are able to find homes, sadly. Um, but that's definitely something that uh, is not too common in the United States. It's different than a lot of places around the world. Yeah, for sure. That's, uh, that's really a really big issue in my country. When I was doing that volunteer work back then, uh, again, I had to face with people and many people was willing to help these street dogs but also many people just abandon the dogs uh, they they treat them very bad and uh, i was wondering why why are people that are doing this and why are people that are are doing that the, the other side you know and um, that remembers me that when i was a, also a forest firefighter once we were called to a, to a fire, we, that, that woman that called us was the same woman that started the fire, you know, mm. and she, she told us and uh, she, she, she didn't have any kind of issue telling us that. <laughs> so then I realized that for many people, it's, it's a cultural activity uh, to do that for their crops to improve in the future. Uh, so it's not like they are doing that, whether it's with fires or dogs or composting or any kind of stuff. They are not doing all of those habits, activities to harm the environment or to harm the society. It's something that are, they are used to do and therefore they can be changed. I think we can work with them and we can create a new uh, mindset. Uh, to improve as a society. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm very excited to learn from you, knowing that you have this um, more scientific background, which is very different from mine. Mine's more education and art based. You have the science side, but then you've also had this wide range of experiences. Um, so I know. I'm just very excited to learn from you. Um, and I'm particularly interested in the intersection between something like environmental engineering and art and how maybe the art side can serve to educate people and draw people in. Um, and I'm curious to know, knowing that you are coming from more of a scientific background, um, what is your experience with that kind of you know, interdisciplinary work that uh, helps the environment, but also educates people. Do you have experience with that at all? And, and do you think that 
art could be a helpful component to educate people and draw people in um, to the issues. Yeah, for sure. Uh, when I was at the university, uh, I was working with a group of, of people to try to solve the water issue they, a community has. They, they have water scarcity and they don't have uh, enough power electricity and so on. So we build this, as environmental engineers, we build this prototype of uh, a small one so they can treat water uh, for drinking purposes without using chemicals, without using chloride, for example, only as a physical process, using membranes similar to reverse osmosis, but with our kind of membranes. And uh, it was technically called nanofiltering, I, 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 as I remember. And uh, we built that, it was powered, powered by solar energy too. So uh, we, we carried that to the community. We did some testing there with the water they have. Uh, by the way, they, the water they, they had was uh, uh, harvested from, from rain. And um, we, we analyzed the results and the prototype was pretty good. It, it could be all improved to enhance the, the, the quality of water. But the main issue was that uh, it was expensive. It was very expensive. And not only that, it was about the maintenance. Uh, this kind of machines need uh, maintenance once a year or twice a year maybe but uh, these are very far communities and how can they by themselves do the maintenance they are not experts they don't have technical staff there and how are they going to buy the maybe some some small parts they need to do the maintenance so that was uh, a huge learning for us and uh, years after uh, uh, and now this year i think with the watuya foundation it was released a contest a national contest for young people to address the same issue water scarcity and uh, I, I could read the work of a young bolivian guy that built a similar prototype but he was very creative and he used only um, some materials that can be found in these kind of communities to build this, this, this kind of prototype. So uh, I guess that's what, when art comes in because you need to be very creative. You need to design this kind of model, this kind of machine, but using the art focus so you can resolve the issues that we have, you know, the maintenance issue, the technical, we were thinking, I think, I think we were thinking too much technical, we were like, engineering with the stuff, but we didn't think too much in the people. So that's when arts join. And that's when you, you have a, a, an art member in your team. I think he can help a lot doing all this research, uh, doing this brainstorming, so you don't commit the, the mistakes that we committed back then. Absolutely. You know, I'd like to just kind of jump into some perspectives, you know, for our listeners as to what are some of the main environmental problems in Bolivia, you know, and to just put things into perspective, we did a little uh, Google Googling of, uh, of hectares, and I think we figured out that Bolivia is like seven times larger than Florida, 
or six times larger than Florida in, in land mass. So we're talking about not a small country uh, by, any, by any means. What are some of the environmental problems that you all are facing, especially considering that you're landlocked, right? And, uh, and, and, and have to deal with, all, you know, maybe not having uh, borders of your country on the ocean, right? So sea level rise may not be uh, the number one concern, but what are some other things you all are facing? Well, uh, that's a very interesting question. Um, if you talk to people about this in Bolivia, uh, special, especially in communities, they are going to tell you waste. Waste is the, is the main issue, and probably because they see that issue every day. They see waste in the streets, uh, they can smell the bad odors, odors maybe. Uh, they can see dogs uh, in the streets, uh, you know, using the garbage to feed themselves. And so that's what they are going to say. But if, if we look to the indicators, to the numbers, the main environmental issue Bolivia has as a whole is uh, deforestation. We are deforestating a lot uh, of our forests to or for agricultural purposes. We grow up mainly soy, soybeans, and we export that. Um, we don't even consume a, a lot of what we grow up there. And uh, as I was telling you, one day our, our soils, similar as in Florida, are not uh, well suited for crop growth or agriculture, but our government is, I don't know why, they, they are still encouraging deforestation for agriculture purposes. And if we look up to our gross profit income raises, and we also look up to the deforestation rates, and when we compare both data or graphics, you can see that deforestation is increasing exponentially but the gross profit income is not growing at the same rate. So it's not a good decision to do deforestation, but we are still doing that because, uh, well, there are a lot of reasons, uh, political reasons, maybe some private company and governmental coordination to do this kind of stuff. But uh, Bolivian people, young ones are aware of this. We are learning a lot by ourselves about this issue. And we are looking for numbers. There are now we have access to a lot of indicator research that that are very objective, and we know that this is a, our main issue. By the year 2078, if we keep at this rate, we won't have any more uh, forests, especially in the Amazonian uh, side and humid forests. So that's a big issue, you know. We are a country that are, is well known not only for Uyuni South, South, but also for our forests. So and our biodiversity. And what would happen in the year 2078? We won't have any more biodiversity. What are we going to do? You know. So resource management is a is a thing that we need to address urgently. And I, I think we, there are a lot of young people that are improving themselves, learning a lot about, about this so they can address in the future as future leaders and future government, uh, future authorities to 
change the path that we are that we are taking. Well, you know, the steps that people take now uh, have a tremendous, tremendous effect on the future, right? I always say if you're trying to fly a plane from LA to New York and uh, you uh, adjust just a few inches, you wind up in like Canada, <laughs> right? Uh, you adjust a few other inches and you'll fly all the way to Europe, you know, and um it's the little changes that then get repeated again and again and again, millions of times through citizens uh, and millions of times through law or code or culture uh, that affect our future tremendously. So one of the things I hope to <clears throat> teach you here is how, you know, the American environmental story, right, is a, is a real part of our history as a country. You know, the United States invented the national park system that the rest of the world has really cloned and, and utilized to incredible success. And especially in Latin America, you know, places like Costa Rica, uh, you know, of course, with their famed national park system where they, you know, dissolved their military uh, and put that investment into having a, a, a fantastic national parks program. Um, you know, certainly there remains a lot of work to be done uh, here in the United States. We are far, far from perfect, but I think that our young people here in this country and our citizens by far overall, you know, want to see us improve, right? And are willing to do the work in order to do that. And nonprofits are a great way that people can organize themselves into teams and mobilize around these things, right? I will view your time here as a success if when you return home, you're able to do things, uh, dream things, accomplish things, uh, you know, and, and, and really kind of use a skill set that you were able to pick up here to continue doing all of this wonderful work, you know, and it's great that you've got so much experience. I think that that uh, it helps to enhance all of your different, you know, perspectives and viewpoints on things and whatever you wind up doing in the future. Um, so, uh, you know, another question I'd love to ask is, how did you learn about IREX? And how did you learn about the community solutions program that brought you here to then be matched with ideas for us? You know, that's, that's, that's very interesting because I don't exactly remember <laughs> how the how I, I looked it up for IREX. But uh, when the pandemic started, I was looking for scholarship, scholarships because I wanted to uh, go outside and go and learn about how other countries are facing environmental issues. So I prepared myself a lot. I was searching for scholarship options, master's degree options maybe. And, and then uh, this IREX thing appeared I guess in Facebook, in the US embassy Facebook. And I clicked on that and uh, I, well, I said to myself, this seems interesting. I don't think I'm going to win this, but I'm going to try anyway so I can learn how to do these essays and this kind of stuff. So uh, I, I completed all the process and um, you know, I, I didn't, Care too much about it, to be honest, because I was telling myself I'm not going to win this at all. So <laughs> never mind. 
and I kept working. And then at the end, after half a year, I was a finalist. I was encouraged to wait for the final final uh, process. And well, there I was told that finally I was going to travel to the USA. So I couldn't believe that. And uh, it was the first scholarship, what fellowship in this case that I, I win. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's a, it was a two year process. You know, it was not easy for me to learn English and all that kind of stuff. But um, then I, I, I talked with my family. I talked with my with Awatuya Foundation. I told them about this. The Awatuya Foundation was very happy so, so I can learn a lot from the United States and they are expecting me to be back at home and to apply what I learned from IREX. And uh, well, IREX, I didn't know anything about IREX, but uh, I was doing my own research and I get to know the amazing work that they are doing here and uh, they pay for everything these whole four months. So it's amazing, you know, they only want people that want to learn and apply what they learn from the American culture. So that's pretty much what I'm going to do. That's fantastic. What were some of your family's thoughts on, on you coming here? Was everyone excited? Were they a little worried for you? Uh, you know, what, what did they think? Well, they were very worried. You know, they are still worried. I think my parents, <laughs> even though I don't live with them anymore, uh, since uh, three years or four years but uh, and they are always worried you know it's not a, a common thing in my country for people to go outside they are it's a very conservative culture i think um and you know you hear a lot of things from the united states there and not very good things often <laughs> so uh, they of course are worried but um now they are they, they are they are not anymore you know I, I i am always talking to them and i am telling them this is great you don't have to worry everything is doing fine uh, i am learning a lot that's that's the most important thing here i'm learning really a lot and i'm already thinking in ideas of how can i apply all these strategies in my country so you don't have to worry for anything i think um it's so interesting to hear about the pressing nature of the environmental issues in Bolivia. I mean, of course, they're pressing everywhere. We're, you know, global climate crisis. We're in one of those. Um, but um, it's a little bit surprising given that um, Bolivia and Ecuador, I believe, are really, um, really led the way. Um, for environmental legislation and, and bestowing um, the rights of people to nature. Um, and I think so there was a, a 2011 law of mother nature um, by Bolivia. And that was the first national level legislation in the world to bestow rights to the natural world. So I'm, I'm curious, um, you know, coming from that lineage what are your thoughts on um, employing the law to protect nature? Well, of course, it, you need law to do that. It's a, a huge umbrella that we all need so we don't get wet. 
but uh, and um, in Bolivia we have this huge umbrella too and as as you, as you have already said uh, we are I think we are living this in at least in the South American continent um, and that's of course amazing you know our government certainly did a good job in doing that and uh, we are constantly trying to improve those laws um, but again, the numbers says that we are also facing a lot of environmental struggle. And we are rated, I think, 88 from the out of 108 countries in uh, environmental issues as a global indicator. Uh, but why if we have this amazing umbrella? Because the main issue is how do we uh, use these, uh, these laws? We need to apply them. And that's the, the thing that we are struggling in my country. We don't have enough staff to control the industries, control people that they are doing what the law says. And again, it's a matter of the communities. Communities, but that's what I think. Communities needs to be aware. They need to do that by themselves. It would be a dream that they can obey the law without the need of one person telling them, oh, there's this law, you need to obey this law, you know. They need to do that by themselves. And how are we going to do that? If we create a new mindset, a new culture, and uh, therefore the laws will be addressed. Um, but in the meantime, we are struggling with this. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, it's a, it's a definitely a work in progress. You know, a lot of these laws are, are new and sometimes they take time for culture to kind of shift into them. Another big problem with laws is that, you know, if they're not enforced uh, or they don't have strong enough penalties, especially with the environment, people will just game the system. You know, we see that here with, um, you know, development and saying that, you know, you have to rescue uh, you know, certain plants, or you can't build unless there's an environmental assessment, or you have to rescue gopher tortoises, right, instead of uh, just burying them in development, right. But sometimes the fines for that are less money than the uh, developer has to spend in moving the animals, right. So they'll just bury the landscape and, and, and you know, do things like that. It's a real shame because <clears throat> there are some people that are, are willing to do, you know, really anything for just the sake of making some money. It's very short-term thinking, you know, and I think that there's a lot of problems in the world for people, um, let alone globally, right, that can be boiled down to just making short-term decisions for the here and the now uh, and, not, uh, and not understanding that they're going to be paying the consequences later on. So... Definitely things that we want to <clears throat> help to foster strategies to communicate with people in the public to get around. Uh, I think that, that yeah. definitely helping to empower people to, to take action on global issues through local action is our specialty, right? And, and what we really do as an organization. So with that, Joaquin, I'll say it's going to be just a wonderful pleasure having you here with us. Uh, you know, we've got so many exciting adventures in store for us, and uh, I'm just so happy that you get a chance to also meet the other wonderful people like Katie on our ideas team. 
And uh, it's only a matter of time before, um, you know, we've got you traveling around the U.S. and meeting uh, ideas for us people in other cities and uh, even from other countries, too. So this is uh, very exciting. And, you know, you are, as I mentioned, joining a, a great lineage of amazing IREX people uh, that we've been fortunate enough to have with us over the last nine years now. So, um, you know, I'm very proud of that and very excited for, for you to one day meet all of them, uh, which I think will be really exciting. Yeah, well, I, I love listening to people and I love learning. So I'm eager to listen and learn from ideas for our staff and also from any kind of American people. Well, that's it. I am I'm very grateful and so grateful for this opportunity with Ideas for Us, with IREX, and I encourage people in my country to look for this kind of opportunity, this kind of fellowships. They, there are a lot of opportunities, a lot of fellowships. You only need to search, and then you will gain a lot of experience, knowledge, and it's going to be wonderful. Absolutely. Well, I know we could talk for hours, and I think one of the things we'll definitely plan on doing is let's have you on a few more podcasts, right, to talk about what your experience has been like and even some deep dives into, you know, New York's Climate Week, right? That is always an incredible experience uh, to, to go and to be part of just to make the amazing connections and friendships and, and to build relationships or meet people face-to-face -face that, you know, you've been talking to over email for years, right? So uh, all of that stuff is, is really wonderful. So with that, thank you so much, everyone. I will bring this official ideas podcast to a close. It is August 2022. Thank you so much. The official ideas for us podcast, Clayton Luce Ferrara and Katie DeBari. Thank you.